Welcome to Lakeland's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Lakeland, please visit our website at lakeland.church. Hey, 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 who feels fine? All right. I feel fine, and I... Uh, you know, I've, I've asked that kind of every week at the end of that. You know, who feels fine? And I think we got a reason to feel fine because no matter what happened, I know this has been kind of a crazy week. There's a lot of folks who have been like, man, uh, depending on how you voted maybe during the election, some of you feel like things are better. Some of you feel like now we're really in the end of the world as we know it. <laughs> I don't, it doesn't matter where, uh, how you voted or how exactly that, that perspective or your, what your perspective is. Let me just tell you this, though. COVID numbers are going up. Elections happening. But here's Second Thessalonians 3.16. Listen to what the Word of God says. Now, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. Peace. He gives you peace at all times in every way. Meaning, I need peace over here. Okay, you can provide that. When? Always. I, I want to let you just know that this week no one voted on God. No one voted on whether or not he, his, his, uh, his approval ratings are high or not or low or not. God doesn't care. God is still ruling on the throne. He's still in charge. He still has uh, dominion over everything. I love the song that we were singing. And darkness bows to him, and that doesn't change. Nothing changes. He's still ruling. Can I get an amen? And for you, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. And, um, man, some of us need that more uh, this week, maybe than last week, or you'll need some more in a couple weeks from now, but he can always give you peace at all times in every way. Hey, a couple things I just want to let you know about. I just had uh, one of our pastors walk on up to me and let me know that as far as Operation Christmas Child Boxes, I know you guys have been bringing them in, and we have a 1,002 boxes sitting out there right now. Way to go. Way to go. So thank you for all of you who were out yesterday packing boxes, all of you who packed them and brought them. I'm so proud of you guys. Uh, you, you hit our goal, and that's just absolutely awesome. Way to go. Also, want to let you know, for some of you who are unaware, Lisa and I actually go on Facebook Live on, on Lakeland's Facebook page every single week. If you didn't know, we've been doing that. Because maybe some of you are like, I'm steering clear of social media, and I totally understand that. But every Tuesday night is the one time you should hop on social media and join Lisa and I as we usually play some games. We have some fun. Uh, and we just share a thought for, for the evening. But this coming Friday night, we're doing something a little bit different. Or in addition to our Tuesday night, this Friday night, we're doing a date night. And it's, so it's an awesome event, but it's a virtual date night. So it's where you can do it from home and we will do it in our home. And so what we're going to be doing is we're going to be cooking together uh, and then we're going to be sharing a meal together and then we're going to be having a conversation where probably Lisa and I will have a conversation. You'll listen in and we'll set you guys up for a conversation on your end, but it will be a lot of fun. And so if you're wondering, how do I participate? Go to our, our events page on our website. Uh, you can download the menu because you're going to need to get some supplies and then we'll cook together at the same time and then we'll eat together. And so uh, give us an hour and a half of this coming uh, Friday night, and we're going to have a lot of fun together, so make sure to join us at our date night event this Friday. Also, last week, if you were here, uh, as we were diving into Revelation 4 and 5, I gave you guys, a, or the, the kids in the room, I said, hey, draw some of this 
try to draw this because this is some of the most bizarre stuff you'll ever read in the scripture. And so see what you come up with. And so I got a handful of images kind of handed to me at the end of the service. I got some emailed to me. I want to show you the one that we chose as our winner for, for the week. Uh, this is Jessa Minkle, who uh, drew this, and I love it. This is like the cherubim and seraphim with eyes, and she's got the bubbly eyes on the wings. And uh, isn't that absolutely awesome? I love it. So give it up for Jessa. <laughs> So we're going to hook her up with some church merch, and uh, we've got some fun things you might want to draw today if you want to have fun. Uh, no, no gifts for it, but it's still fun stuff, so you might want to do that. <laughs> uh, all right, let's dive in. We've got a ton to cover. Today is going to be like drinking from the fire hose, so are you all ready? Okay, this is going to go well, I can tell. All right. Today what we're doing is we're going to cover a ton of the crazy stuff in the book of Revelation that often we think of through the lens of like this crazy apocalyptic, you know, story stuff that ends up happening. Um, and it's all, a lot of that is, happens in this kind of moment in history that we refer to as the tribulation. And so we're going to cover a ton of chapters, actually chapters 6 through 18, I know. Uh, so it's going to be scary, but we can do it. And so we're going to just really answer this question. What's the tribulation? What should we expect in it? But to start really simply, this is the tribulation is this. It's a seven year period of time of, you guessed it, great tribulation. That's what's going to be happening. But before I get into it, here's the point. The main point of what God is doing during this, the end times and during this tribulation is ultimately this. Second Peter chapter three, verse nine. It says this, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness. If you're like, God, when are you returning? Jesus, when are you coming back for your bride? When's that happening? Guess what? He's not slow. You want to know what he is? He is patient. What's he patiently doing? He's not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to, say this word with me, to what? To repentance. Repentance actually means to turn. This is God's heart. He wants people to turn from their sin and turn to him to accept salvation and forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross. It's not the Lord is slow. He is patient and he is trying to get humanity's attention because he wants people to come to repentance. If you can imagine, maybe you can imagine this image of someone standing on, on a soapbox with like a placard on one side holding a, uh, a megaphone um, in like a busy city street going, repent for the end is near. Maybe you can imagine it like in an, um, uh, like a comic or something like that. This is that moment in world history where God in many ways is doing that and he is shouting as loudly as he can, repent for the end is near. His heart is repentance. Now, if you were with us a, a few weeks ago, week one, I talked about the difference between even the rapture and the second coming. Christ is going to return to earth, which is awesome, but he's not going to touch down uh, until after the tribulation. So the first thing that we believe Christ is going to do is he's going to do his, the rapture, which is kind of a flyby. He's going to pick up the church and take the church home to be with him, leaving a whole bunch of non-believers uh, on the planet heading into the tribulation. Now, often when we think about the rapture, the whole question is, when is that in regards to the tribulation? And there's a handful of different views, and I covered it during week one. Uh, Pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, pan-trib. Pre-trib is like before the tribulation, middle, mid-trib, middle of the tribulation, post uh, at the end of the tribulation, pan trip, it'll all pan out. I'm not going to worry about it. For I, I told you, I lean toward a pre-trib that Christ would rapture the church at the beginning of the tribulation. However, if I'm wrong, we'll all know. 
You'll all know by the end of today. This is the beauty of, of end time stuff is that at the end of the day, we'll, if, if pre-tribbers are wrong, we're going to be like, oh, he was wrong about that one because we'll know because there are some obvious things that will happen in the tribulation. And you're like, apparently we're going to experience this thing. Okay? And, and so, but it'll all pan out in the end, so don't worry about it. It'll, it'll all end up being okay. So, um, so where's the first place that we see this concept of this period of time that we refer to as the tribulation in Scripture and what starts it? What starts the tribulation? So the first place we see the tribulation actually referred to is not in the book of Revelation, but actually the book of Daniel. And he talks about what starts it. So that's where we're going to start. Daniel chapter 9 is this amazing uh, chunk of uh, prophecy that most Bible scholars will call the backbone of the prophecy for Jerusalem and Israel, okay, or Israel and Jerusalem. And here's how it starts. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgressions, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal visions and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. It can also be translated the most holy one. Okay, so what in the world does this, does this mean? 77s. The sevens here are going to be seven-year periods of time, and there are 70 of them. So seven years multiplied times 70 is 490 years. So you got 490 years that are decreed for the people, that is Israel, and your holy city, that is Jerusalem. So this is prophecy. You got to get this, folks, that is very specific for Israel and Jerusalem. It's not for all of humanity. It will apply some of it for humanity will go through it, but this is applied to Israel and Jerusalem. For what to happen? Transgressions to be put put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness. So he's referring to what Christ is going to accomplish at the cross, bring in everlasting righteousness, seal up visions and prophecies. That's still yet to come. And then anointing of the most holy place and the most holy one. Okay, so you've got these sevens. Let me read now the rest of the passage and then we'll unpack it, okay? Know and understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. So he's going to start to now break down, break down these, um, the 77s into segments. Okay, so you got one segment of seven, one segment of 62. It will be rebuilt in the streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After this, or after the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he'll put an end to the sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. I know some of you are like, what in the world is he talking about? All right, let's talk this thing through. So in, in this, you've got these 77s, and the sevens are seven-year periods of time. So 490 years. The starting point of the first one starts in uh, Daniel 9.25, where it says this. No one understand this. He's going to group the first two groupings of seven back to back because he says this. Uh, from the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there's going to be seven sevens and 62 sevens. So those two groupings are together. What's the first one? The first one, seven sevens, is 49 years. When does that start? When does the stopwatch start in time? It starts from the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. When did that happen? 
That happened under Artaxerxes of Persia in Nehemiah chapter 2. You can read about it. It's the only place actually that talks specifically about the rebuilding of the entire city. That started in 445 BC. Stopwatch begins. The first seven sevens, that's 49 years. And that's exactly how many years it takes to not just rebuild the temple, but rebuild all of Jerusalem. It takes 49 years. Prophecy is true. First seven, complete. That takes you to 395 BC. Then verse 26. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death. Christ, anyone know what Christ means? Christ means anointed one. That's exactly what Christ means. So after the 62 sevens, Christ will be put to death and will have nothing. That's exactly what happened. From the time that Jerusalem was finished being built in 396 BC till Christ's death is 62 sevens or 434 years. Now the amazing thing about this is uh, Daniel prophesies this and writes this In 538 BC, that's 538 years before Christ is even on the planet, he predicts the time of Christ's death. Not based on a year, but based on the declaration of Israel to be rebuilt. That's the the starting point of the clock. And the years add up perfectly to Christ's death. Stopwatch stops. Why? Because the whole prophecy is about Israel and Jerusalem. Remember I said Israel and Jerusalem? It's the setting for the end of the story. And so we're coming to it. Uh, the next line actually in Daniel, it says, The people of the ruler will come and destroy the city and the sanctuary. That happens in 70 AD when Jerusalem is destroyed. Okay? So now we're going to get to the end, Daniel 9.26. Then the end will come like a flood. War will continue till the end and desolations have been decreed. Okay, now we're going to get to the final seven, what we refer to as the tribulation. And this is what marks the beginning of it. He, some he, somebody is going to confirm a covenant with many for one seven. Who is, okay, oh yeah, let me continue. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to the sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Okay, so who is the he? The he in this is the Antichrist, who's going to likely make a seven-year peace treaty. It's described there as making a a seven-year covenant with many. And that covenant is going to be with probably ten nations or ten different leaders. And it says that he's going to make the seven-year treaty with many nations. And then in the middle of the seven, which is at the three-and-a-half-year mark, he's going to put an end to the sacrifice and offering. We talked about uh, earlier uh, in previous weeks, we talked about how the... The temple is going to actually be built. There's going to be a third temple that will be built in Israel. They're going to uh, start the sacrificial system again. They already have been planning toward this for the last 30 years. They've been working toward uh, building the temple and restarting the sacrifice. You can go online. You can see the the tools that have already been made. The cornerstone's already made for the temple, the third temple, as well as many of the articles used for worship. Okay, so that will be reinstated. But halfway through, the Antichrist is going to stop the worship. And then he's going to, according to Daniel, it says he's going to start uh, establish the sorry go back to the verse so instead of me trying to make up the quote yeah he's going to set up an abomination that causes desolation that's likely some type of image that people are going to worship to at least uh, declare their allegiance to him as the world leader and to worship him okay 
And so if you want to kind of see this all come together in a single slide, this is the breakdown of those 77s. First 49 years is to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. That's what starts that stopwatch. The next one immediately follows it up, and it ends with um, the anointed one being put to death. That happens exactly on time. The final seven is a seven-year period of time. We call it the tribulation, where the Antichrist is going to confirm a covenant with many for one seven. If you want to know what starts the tribulation... It will be when a world leader rises to power and brings actually about a peace treaty. It will be a peace treaty between Israel, likely Palestine, and some other nations for a seven-year period of time. And so if I can uh, kind of break down the tribulation, the tribulation is really broken into two distinct halves. You even see it described there in Daniel. And so here's the first half of the tribulation, some of the things that happen. You got the seven-year peace treaty established by the Antichrist. That is described there in Daniel. You have the seal and trumpet judgments, and God's two witnesses are prophesying. So let me talk through those other things. But first, before I get there, I said the Antichrist is going to establish a peace treaty with many. Where in the world do we kind of get a picture of him and these people that he's making a peace treaty with. Revelation chapter 13 describes him. And throughout Revelation, you have all this. You've got uh, symbolic language of real events and real people. This is all the way from the beginning all the way to the end. And some places throughout Revelation, he even defines it. He says, this is what I mean by that. So let me just read to you this, and then I'll tell you here's what it means and kind of where, even throughout the book of Revelation, he defines it. The dragon throughout Revelation Satan is always referred to as the dragon. So we know this is referring to Satan because early in Revelation, it outright says it. He says, the dragon, Satan, that's who he says, stood on the shore of the sea and I saw a beast. The beast is going to be the Antichrist. All throughout Revelation, he'll be referred to the beat as the beast. He's not like something with crazy horns or anything like that. He's just, but this is how he's referred to the image, the imagery all throughout Revelation. Coming out of the sea, it had 10 horns. You're like, you said it didn't have horns. I know, it's imagery, okay? Ten horns with seven heads with ten crowns uh, on its horns and on each head a blasphemous name. Go ahead and draw that. (laughs) Now here's what each of those means. Uh, The Antichrist is going to be a man. Horns throughout Revelation always represent power. Heads represent leaders. Crowns represent authority. And so the Antichrist is going to have a whole lot of power, leadership, and authority, and probably over a whole lot of nations. Revelation chapter 17 even helps us define some of this language. It says this, the ten horns that you saw, what are they? Here's what they are. They're the ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom. These are likely world leaders. And once again, in this day and age, they would always refer to world leaders as always kings. They could be presidents, but they're world leaders who don't have, a, they don't have maybe their own nation, but they're going to be overseeing different areas of nations, who for one hour, and that simply means likely for a short period of time, they're going to receive authority as kings along with the Antichrist, the beast. They have one purpose, and that's to give their power and authority to the beast. And so this is the Antichrist who will make this treaty with many nations and many other world leaders, and they have one point, and that's to all direct all their power and their authority toward the Antichrist. But here's the deal. Uh, oh, no, let me just keep going. Okay, so then... We've got the seal judgments. Let's get to Revelation, shall we? Revelation chapter 6. I'm going to do this, like kind of summarize entire chapters in a single slide. Here's what chapter 6 is. The seven seal judgments is there. And here's what you've got. You've got the four riders of the apocalypse. These are these uh, 
angels on horses. There's a white horse, a red horse, a black horse, a pale horse, and they all have the ability to bring judgment to the world. And uh, the moon is going to turn blood red, bloodshed from war. A quarter, I know this is like really hard to wrap our heads around, but a quarter of the world will die from famine, plagues, and wild beasts during this first portion of the tribulation. If you think, man, COVID is bad, 1.25 million people have already died. A quarter of the world. That's likely 2 billion people will die during this portion. And you might say, this is horrible. How could God do this? How could a loving God do this? You want to know what God is up to? God's heart is always repentance and redemption. In fact, that's all of chapter 7. Chapter 7 is the Jewish remnant that is saved in the tribulation. God made a promise to Israel long ago. And actually, when they rejected Jesus, when Jesus came and many Jews rejected him, Jesus said, you're still my nation and I want to see you come to me. And in fact, it's during the tribulation that there will be a massive Jewish remnant that returns to Christ. There will also be a global kind of multitude of people who will become saved during this period of time and will come to Christ. Chapter 8 through 11 is the seven trumpet judgments. What's going to happen during this? Hail and fire mixed with blood fall from the sky. Poisonous locusts attack. If you don't like locusts, watch out. A third of vegetation is going to be destroyed. A third of the water will become contaminated. A third of the sea creatures will die. A third of the light will be lost. A third of the world dies. That's on top of the quarter that already died. And you, I know you might be saying, this is horrible. But here's what God is always after. He's always after repentance. Remember 2 Peter? He's not slow in keeping his promises. He is patient, not wanting anyone to, uh, to be lost, but everyone to come to repentance. In fact, in Revelation chapter 9, he, re- he repeats that same mantra when it says this in Revelation 9, 20, the rest of mankind who were not killed by the plagues still did not repent But that's his heart. His heart is repentance. Verse 21, nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, and their thefts. But this is God's heart. God's heart is always that people would come toward repentance. I picture it like this. This moment in history, the tribulation, is God's last call to humanity. It's his last call saying, guys, pay attention. Listen up. Please hear me. Notice me. And listen to the message I've got for you. If you've ever been in this situation like this, where I've, I've got nine kids, and maybe if you've had kids or you've seen neighbor kids uh, do this, where a child is like learning to ride their bike. Now, every time a kid learns to ride their bike, they are not focused ever on what's in front of them. They're like looking at their handlebars in their bike, and they're doing this. And, and they're like, and they never are looking down the road. And I've always seen, I've seen this so many times with my kids where they're like, they're heading out toward the road, and a car is coming this way, and they don't see the car, and I don't know if the car sees the kid. And so I start yelling. Now, my youngest son, his name is Brooks, and it would often go like this. Hey, Brooks, Brooks, Brooks. And as he gets closer to imminent danger, what happens to my voice? It gets louder, right? It it turns from like, hey, Brooks, like I'm trying to get your attention to like all out screaming, Brooks, right? Because I am concerned for him and I want his well-being. In many ways, this is what God is doing during this time period, during the tribulation, is his voice is getting louder and louder to say, humanity, 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 listen up, please, last call to repentance. 
This is his heart, though. It's not judgment, judgment, judgment. It's pay attention. I have to bring judgment to sin and, and all the wickedness on the world in the world, but I want relationship. Please pay attention. Please come back to me. Come into relationship. That's his heart. Also, during the first half of the tribulation, you got these two witnesses who are prophesying to the world. We see them described in Revelation 11. It says this, they trampled on the holy city for 42 months. How long is 42 months? Some of you are like, not in school right now. Why are you doing this to me? That's three and a half years, exactly. It's the halfway point of the tribulation. So for three and a half years, the Holy Synod is going to be trampled. What does that mean? Everyone is going to flood there, actually, because the worship will be reinstated in Jerusalem, and people are going to be trampling all over Jerusalem for that first year or three and a half years. And during that period, I will appoint my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days. How long is that? I know, you're like, don't do this to me. It's actually about two weeks shy of three and a half years. So my, what I see it is the tribulation is going to be- begin and then God is going to send two witnesses right shortly after the beginning of the tribulation and they have one point. Their purpose is to prophesy to the world, to proclaim that Jesus is the way and to remind people, it's, it's the it's the placard sign, repent, the end is near. Now, some will ask, who are these, these two witnesses? Well, it could be two people from humanity right now who God says, this is going to be your assignment, and this is what they're going to do, uh, is prophesy for those three and a half year period of times. Other people, uh, Bible scholars will argue, perhaps, um, out of the Old Testament, there are two Old Testament prophets that actually never died. Really crazy. They actually just ascended to heaven. Enoch and Elisha. Both were just taken up into heaven. Some Bible scholars argue maybe they're being sent back because they never got to experience death and they'll get to experience it now. Or some will say, well, maybe it's uh, during the transfiguration. Jesus actually is seen with Moses and Elijah. Maybe he sends those two back. But here's the point. Those two guys are going to be doing something. Here's what they're going to be doing. Continue on. If anyone tries to harm them, they got some really awesome superpowers, okay? Fire comes from their mouths to devour their enemies because there are going to be people who are going to say, we don't want to hear anything about your Jesus, and they're going to try to attack these guys, and these guys, I don't know, they can consume their enemies with fire, okay? This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. They also have the power to shut up the heavens so that it will not rain during the time that they are prophesying. They also have some other powers, and they have the power to turn water into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Now, because of that, people aren't going to like them. (laughs) Now, when they have finished their testimony, the beast, this is the Antichrist that comes up from the abyss, he will attack them and will overpower them and kill them. So they will experience death. Their bodies will lie in the public square of the great city where also their Lord was crucified. This is Jerusalem for three and a half days. Some from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. It goes on to say in three and a half days, they are actually going to be raised to life and then they're just going to ascend to heaven. This moment actually marks the end of the first half of the tribulation. This crazy moment in, in history. Now, if you wondered, if you felt like, man, that's crazy, just get ready for the second half of the tribulation. Here's the second half of the tribulation. You're going to have that seven-year peace treaty that the Antichrist made with many nations. It's going to be broken. The Antichrist will shut down worship in the temple. He's actually going to set himself up as God to be worshipped in the temple of God. The Antichrist will survive a mortal wound. 
There's going to be a false prophet who will join the Antichrist and he will institute the mark of the beast. Okay, so let's talk through some of these things I just mentioned. I first mentioned the shutting down of the temple and setting himself up to be worshipped. We saw that actually in Daniel. Let me read it to you again where it says this. In the middle of the seven... So at the three and a half year mark, he will put an end to the sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation, likely an image that people will worship that will represent him. Okay, so he's going to set something up in the temple to, uh, that will be the worship of him. Second Thessalonians 2.1 also describes it this way. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus and our being gathered to him, so end times and rapture, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For... Uh, that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness, this is also the way that the Bible refers to the Antichrist, as they call him, the man of lawlessness, is revealed. The man he's doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or his worship, so that he sets himself up in God's temple. So in the temple of God, he's going to shut down worship and he's going to set himself up in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God and to be worshipped. Another thing that's going to happen to the Antichrist, he's going to survive a mortal wound. Revelation 13.3 describes this. The beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was fil filled with wonder and followed the beast. So he's going to have something that it will appear like he's going to die and then miraculously he's going to uh, be healed and make it through it. And the whole world is going to hop on the Antichrist bandwagon uh, for the final three and a half year period of time. Next couple verses, you can see how long the stretch is going to last for. In verse four, it says this, people worshiped the dragon, that's Satan, because he had given authority to the beast, which is the Antichrist. And they also worshiped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and, to, and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for how long? 42 months, the final three and a half years of the tribulation. The Antichrist is going to be blatantly speaking against the people of God and against God. All right. On top of that, you've got Antichrist has a friend. We as uh, Bible scholars, and we refer to this second guy as the false prophet. Here's how he's described in Revelation. I saw a second beast. It's really the Antichrist buddy, whoever that is going to be. Uh, coming out of the earth, it had two horns. Remember, horns represent power, like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon, meaning like Satan. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf. And it made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, the Antichrist, whose fatal wound had been healed. And it performed great signs, even causing fire come down from heaven and the earth in full view uh, from come down from heaven in, to the earth in full view of the people. Remember how you've got the God's two witnesses doing some of these exact same things during the first half of the tribulation? This guy is going to be doing some of those same things during the second half of the tribulation and directing all, everyone to worship the Antichrist, though, as he demonstrates it. If the Antichrist is the political power, the false prophet is the spiritual power that directs everyone toward the worship, actually, of the Antichrist and of Satan. Tracking with me? Everyone's still alive, hopefully. All right, final thing. Establishing the mark of the beast. 
It says this, it also forced, this is the false prophet during the second half of the tribulation. It forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. That number is 666. Remember, six represents the number of man. Seven is the number of God or completion, fullness, perfection. Um, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, how technology is in place already for this type of thing to happen. There's over 5,000 people in Sweden who have already been chipped, and they use those chips to open doors, buy uh, train tickets, buy their lunch, buy something out of the, the snack room at work, open their computers, all that. And so this whole idea, in fact, there's a company right here in Wisconsin that already has over 100 of their employees chipped in their right hand so that they can buy and sell things and open their computers at work. And so this whole concept of having the technology to do something like this is already here. The final uh, kind of four chapters of Revelation that I would want to cover today, I'm just going to highlight them, is chapters 14 through 18. And here's what you'll discover. A description of redemption, once again, because this is always God's heart, wrath, political moves of the Antichrist, and the final battle, or the battle of Armageddon. So let me just hit some of these really quick. Redemption, we see this in Revelation chapter 14. Then I saw another angel, angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel. Anyone know what gospel means? Gospel means good news. See, here's the deal, folks. Even in the midst of this craziness in the tribulation, you want to know what there always is? There is good news. You realize when Jesus arrived on the scene, when he was born, the angels declared the exact same thing. Behold, good news. I bring you good news of great, of good tidings, great tidings. Behold, today in the town of, of, of Nazareth, a child has been born. It's good news. The gospel, this good news, has always been on the heart of God to bring to humanity. And this angel is just proclaiming the gospel. And he's proclaiming it to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. What's their heart? That everyone would repent. And he said in a loud voice, fear God, give him glory, because the, the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who has made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. See, God's heart is always still in the midst of the craziness. He's shouting out. There's still good news. And this gospel is going forth to everyone with an invitation to respond to it. During the second half of the tribulation, God is going to continue to pour out his wrath upon sin. We see this in the bull judgments in, Revel in the book uh, chapter 16 of Revelation. Sores are going to appear on people with the mark of the beast. So that those who have come to Christ during the tribulation and do not take the mark of the beast, they will not experience some of this judgment. Water turns to blood and everything in it dies. Sun scorches people. Devastating earthquakes hit. A hundred pound pieces of hail crash to the earth. This is going to leave a dent in your car hood. People are going to have some great uh, claims during that period of time. No, but this is like, uh, this is the worst of it. There's going to be some political moves. I don't have time really to cover that. But if you look in the book of Daniel, some of the other prophetic books in the Old Testament, as well as Revelation, there's some amazing movement that we can even start to piece out who are some of these nations that will be involved in some of the final battles and some of the final movements. In fact, one of those that I would say pretty definitively, it describes an army of 200 million that will come from the east. That's likely China that will come on over. And you can start to piece together where some of our main global nations 
nations are going to be a part of, of the final end, end times and the final wars. But it leads ultimately to um, the Battle of Armageddon. This is not the final battle where Satan is done away with. This is the final battle where the Antichrist is done away with. And this happens likely in a place that's called the Valley of Megiddo. Um, Myself and about 50 of us from Lakeland, we were in Israel in February, and we actually went to the Valley of Megiddo. It is a massive valley. It's one of the largest valleys um, in in the world, but a, a perfect place for war. In fact, there's been more global... <laughs> Wars throughout all of history in that valley than any place else in, on all the planet Earth. Um, there have been major shifts in power, and it always takes place. The overthrow takes place in the valley of Megiddo. It is said of Megiddo, "He who holds Megiddo, con- he who controls Megiddo, controls the world." And um, this is likely that final valley in Israel where the final battle will place, take place, and nations will come from all around for this final. Uh, battle. They gathered the kings together in the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, It is done. And here's how this final battle is going to go down in a massive earthquake. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever been occurred since mankind has been on the earth. So tremendous was the quake. And this is the place where the Antichrist will be destroyed. Whew, okay. Let's pray and we'll be done. No, I'm joking. (laughs) You might say, man, this is like a horrible message today. Feels like a lot of nasty judgment. And I would say there is a lot of nasty judgment. But but here's the deal. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen someone do something that was wrong and they got away with it? How does that make you feel? Yeah, you're like angry. You're like, this is frustrating. See, when someone does wrong and they don't get justice, there's something inside of us that like, this is not right. There's gotta be judgment and justice. I remember years ago, I was, uh, I was at a camp and I had uh, taken a bunch of my students to it. I was leading worship as well. And I, one night I, came, I went to bed, I came back to the dining hall where I'd left my guitar and my guitar case was there, but my guitar was gone. And I figured it out pretty quickly and easily because right across the road was a state campground with all these people tenting over there. And likely what had someone had happened, someone from that state campground walked on over, walked into the dining hall, stole my guitar because I found on the road into that state uh, park uh, my guitar strap. And so I'm like, well, it's in there somewhere. So I knew where it was, but there was no way I was ever going to be able to bring justice to the person who stole my guitar. And I was so like frustrated just knowing like it's this cliffhanger where there's something wrong and there's no justice. There's no judgment. And in the same way, wrongdoing here on earth has to be punished. And when humanity rejects God's free gift of grace and mercy and continues to blatantly walk in wickedness, what they're doing is they're embracing their behavior and all the judgment that comes with their behavior. See, what they're doing is they're saying, I don't want what Jesus offers. I don't want a savior. I don't want salvation. I don't want great. I don't want anything to do with Jesus. I want whatever is due to my own personal behaviors. Here's what John chapter 3, verse 36 says. 
It says, whoever believes in the Son, meaning whoever puts their faith in Jesus and what he did for them at the cross has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son says, I don't want anything to do with him. I hear about your Jesus, but I'm not interested. Will not see life. Why? For God's wrath remains on them. See, judgment has to come upon sin and wrongdoing. And what Jesus did is he said, listen, the wrath of God is going to get poured out on sin. But if you put your faith in me, when God's wrath gets poured out, it will all land on me and what I did at the cross. If you reject what I did at the cross, all that judgment will land on you. But he willingly said, I will take all of the wrath of God upon sin I'll take it upon myself. All you have to do is believe and put your faith in what I did for you at the cross. But when humanity rejects God and says, I want nothing to do with him, God's wrath remains on them. Maybe for some of you today, this whole message, it's all about this is God's last call to humanity. How close are we to the very last days? I don't know. I think we're in the end times. I think we're nearing But things are getting crazy, and you want to know what? They'll just get crazier, and as it gets crazier, this is God's call to humanity. His voice is getting louder, and he's shouting to some of you today in this room and some of you watching at home right now to say, it's time to put your faith in what I did. Don't take the wrath of God upon yourself. Let that wrath land on Christ and the cross and what he did for you. And for others of us, it's time to join God in his passionate mission of humanity, which he describes in Revelation 14, 6, to proclaim the gospel to all of those who live on the earth. Proclaim the gospel to those who live on the earth. Proclaim the gospel, gospel, good news. Proclaim there's good news to those who live on the earth. No matter how crazy things get, you want to know the good news? Let me tell you about it. To the best of my ability, I can always tell you what Jesus has done in my own life. If you're going, how do I start that conversation? Just tell people what Jesus has done in your own life. That's sharing the good news. And then saying, Jesus can do it in your life as well. And so let me just, let me close this here in prayer. Why don't you guys stand? You've been sitting long enough. I've been talking long enough. (laughs) Let's, uh, Let's close in prayer here. But I imagine if there's some of you here that you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today is the day of salvation. Today is your day to put your faith in Christ and can be through a simple prayer like this. I just invite you to pray it along in your head and in your heart. God hears what is happening right now in you. God, I admit I'm a sinner and my sin has separated me from a perfect and holy God. But I thank you so much that you sent your son to lay down his life for me at the cross. That all of the wrath that is that my sin deserves Jesus took upon himself at the cross and I put my faith in what Jesus did. And I thank you for that. Place your Holy Spirit in me. Awaken things in my life that have never been awakened before and help me to walk in step with you. And Lord, as we continue praying, I imagine that there's a lot of us here who quite frankly, we just need a wake up call. It is time to wake up to the mission that God has for us to proclaim the good news to all the earth with the time we have. And so, Lord, would you stir something in us that we would never grow tired or weary of joining you in the mission of proclaiming the good news. 
everywhere we go. There is always good news, and this is the last call for much of humanity, but there's good news, and your heart is toward repentance. And so we're so thankful for that. Pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. If you would like to partner with Lakeland in helping people follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, and commit their lives to the mission of Jesus, you can contribute to this mission by visiting lakeland.church/give. slash